This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and welcome to Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Jason Goodger, Commissioning Editor at BBC Science Focus magazine. A recent study carried out by the Globe at Night Project, a citizen science programme involving more than 50,000 observations from volunteers around the world, has found that the brightness of the night sky has increased by an average of 7-10% to 10% a year for the last decade. This trend is making it increasingly difficult to observe the stars, especially from built-up urban areas. We speak to Dr Greg Brown, an astronomer and science communicator based at the Royal Observatory Greenwich. He tells us how bad the current situation really is, what it means for lay people, astronomers and animals, and what measures we can take to get our view of the stars back. OK, so recently a global citizen science project um, called The Globe at Night project that was carried out in Germany found that the night sky is becoming between 7 and 10% brighter each year. And this is due to something called light pollution. So what exactly are we talking about when we talk about light pollution? Well, light pollution is uh, any artificial source of light. Unfortunately, the, the lights coming from our cities, from our cars, from everything that uh, modern society has, bounces up into the atmosphere and then comes straight back down again. A certain amount of it is scattered back down. And that's what produces a lot of the often orangey glow that you get around cities, although in the modern day, the, the orange is being replaced with a, a lot more blue light. So how do we go about measuring or studying the amount of light pollution? With some difficulty, a lot of uh, the past tests of doing this have been using satellites, which are great for analysing red light, but they struggle somewhat with blue, which is a problem as modern light pollution tends to be bluer, uh, a, a re result of replacing sodium lamps, for example, in street lighting with um, LEDs. And so 
a lot of studies nowadays have to be done from the ground, at least in part, in order to be able to make up for that. And that is where the, the citizen science angle comes from. There simply aren't enough people studying this sort of thing around the world. So there, there has to be a certain amount of uh, involvement from the general public to make up that deficit. So one kind of shocking thing that I saw in the study was the the researchers said that if this trend would continue were to continue at the same pace, then a child born now in a place where you can see 250 stars in the night sky, by the time they're 18, they'd only be able to see 100. Um, I mean, that's quite shocking. You know, are we looking at a potential scenario where future generations won't be allowed, you know, to enjoy looking at the stars? To an extent, yes. I mean, the brightest objects in the sky are going to be visible beyond any reasonable level of light pollution that we could ever reach. But the fainter objects in the sky, the, the array of stars, the, the Milky Way, for example, is, is, is basically uh, impossible to see from even suburban areas, let alone um, in the centre of cities. So yes, absolutely, light pollution is, is very much hampering our ability for the average person to be able to explore the the cosmos yeah so you mentioned the brighter objects in in the night sky would that be things like planets yeah so planets like uh, venus mars jupiter they're bright enough that it's extremely unlikely that light pollution would ever reach the point that that they would be completely swamped although it's not impossible it's it just seems rather unlikely so the study that we're talking about was carried out over the last i think 12 years but um, this isn't necessarily a new problem, is it? How long has it been going on? Well, light pollution has become a, 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 an increasing problem since about the, the 70s. That was when the, the, the issue of light pollution started to become a, a serious issue. And it has been accelerated in the modern day with the, the uh, expansion of cities and, uh, and urbanisation. Uh, and also because of people relocating from rural areas to the city, there's a lower fraction of the population in relatively dark places anyway. Now, there are potential ways to, to, to get around this that have been trialled. So one of the things like switching over to LED lighting was thought potentially to be a way to, to help with this problem because more efficient lighting means that you can you, you need less of them. Potentially, the, there's a way to, to, to reduce the amount of lighting. But Actually, there's also the reverse argument, which is that with more efficient lighting, you can get away with having more of it for the same amount of power. And so actually you make the problem worse. And it's, it, it's difficult to tell which way it's gone, but certainly this study seems to be suggesting it's gone the wrong way. Are there any alternatives to these, these bluer LED lights um, that are currently on the table that people are considering? It's difficult to suggest that, that there would be a, a obviously with, in the, with the need to go for more energy efficient solutions in the, the uh, with um, the issues of, of climate change and just generally being more power efficient. LEDs are likely to be with us to stay. They are uh, extremely efficient compared to previous uh, examples. But the, the main way to potentially improve things is by reducing unnecessary usage of lighting. So not having too much in the way of exterior lights around your own house, for example. Um, having them on uh, motion sensors or even placing uh, things like uh, baffles or cones to direct the light downwards rather than up. After all, any light that's going up is useless. It, it, it's not helping anyone on the ground do anything. So it is actually reducing the efficiency of the system in itself. 
So obviously it's going to vary from country to country, but are there any laws to protect about this thing? Like there are, you know, for say other forms of pollution. There are places which are designated dark sky sites. Uh, and these are uh, excellent places to be able to go to, to, to experience the night sky in, in much, much closer to, to what our ancestors would have seen. And these are places like uh, uh, downs and national parks and that sort of thing where lights are specifically kept down. But as to laws that affect the rest of the country, I'm afraid I don't know. So before we go into the more sort of technical uh, aspects of this, the the effect on professional astronomers and, and so on, do you think there's a psychological effect to the everyday person? You know, like humans have always looked up at the stars in awe and, and reverence, and it, it seems such a pity that we're not able to enjoy that like we used to be able to. Certainly, absolutely. Uh, it, it is a, a, a great shame that a lot of people are denied the, the, the view of the night sky in, in the planetarium that we run here at the, the Royal Observatory. We often start some of our shows with a, a sort of an estimate of the current light pollution um, around London, even in our relatively dark site in the middle of a, a park, we still have to deal with Canary Wharf and the and the main part of the city around us. And then we turn off that light pollution and you can see what the night sky would look like from a, a dark sky site. And the, the difference is massive. And absolutely no doubt that that's going to have a, a, an impact on our appreciation of, of the night sky. Yeah. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Yeah, so moving on to uh, professional astronomers then. So, obviously, in order to be an astronomer, you need to look at the night sky, and you want to get the clearest picture possible, and Obviously, light pollution is going to have a big effect on this. But how big is that effect? You know, how much does it get in the way with, with observational astronomy? When we're talking about professional astronomy, a lot of the observations are done from specifically chosen dark sky sites. So we're talking about relatively unpopulated regions of the world, like uh, the Atacama Desert in Chile, or um, the tops of mountainsides in the Canary Islands. So the effect of light pollution is not vast in those places because they are so far away from cities in the first place. That's one of the reasons why they've been chosen. That said, not all observers trees are placed well away from that and there are issues of light pollution that go beyond just what we're putting uh, up into the sky from uh, the ground likewise there there are of course issues with uh, increasing numbers of satellites which are, are contaminating images uh, from professional observatories around the world that while only sort of tangentially related nonetheless are a light pollution issue Yes, yeah, so you mentioned the satellites there. That was something I was I was going to ask about. You know, do we anticipate more and more of these these small satellites going up and making the situation worse? Unfortunately so. There are multiple plans in place for these so-called mega constellations where there are thousands and thousands of satellites just for one specific purpose. And while the purposes of these satellites are uh, in general uh, very good, uh, some of them are uh, even uh, humanitarian, they nonetheless have a, a massive impact on professional uh, astronomy and of course on uh, amateur astronomy depending on the situation. Yeah, the, the 
expectation is that the number of satellites going up into orbit is going to skyrocket um, over the course of the next few decades. And there really is very little legislation to hold them back. What we put into orbit above the, the Earth is uh, remarkably unregulated in some ways. So is there anything that the astronomers themselves can do to get around that, that problem? With the satellites, yes and no. There are there are ways of being able to choose your observations and process your data that can remove some of the issues. But when you've got tens of thousands of satellites orbiting in remarkably sort of almost chaotic ways, for, at least from the point of view of a, an observer on the ground, it is impossible to remove all of that entirely. So back down on Earth, you know, are there any big measures that governments or, or institutions could take to to stop this well at least well slow this effect this runaway effect down certainly the 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 need for careful planning when it comes to the the use of lights specifically street lights and uh, um, lights in city centers is an important aspect of that we, we're a lot of it is going to be come down to directional. Um, this lighting is important. No one's denying that the, that the streets need to be lit. That is a very important uh, aspect of their, their existence. Same for pedestrian walkways, need to be lit. The question is whether they need to be lit all the time and in the method that they're currently being done. Is there a way to be able to have the lights come on at the specific times when they're actually being used by an individual that would potentially reduce the light pollution overall is there a way of directing that light downwards because again as i said the, the efficiency of a light any light that goes upwards is useless it's not helping anyone down on the ground so anything that uh, increases the efficiency by directing all of that light down onto the ground not only helps with light pollution but it helps with the, the specific purpose of those lights in the first place so you've mentioned the, the kind of loss of poetry of us being able to observe the night sky and, and the effect that it might have on professional astronomers. Light pollution can also have an effect on, on our health by um, interrupting our sleep or our body clocks, etc. So that's a problem too, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes, it's as humans, we are uh, used to being awake during the day and asleep at night. And the, the more light we introduce into our nighttime skies, the harder it is for our bodies and our body clocks to be able to determine what time it actually is. Issues of uh, insomnia and the, the, the issues that come from that tiredness and fatigue, and not to mention also uh, poor mental health can potentially be linked to the, the increase in light pollution in in our skies and it, it's not just a human issue either wildlife suffers um, uh, big time from the the increase in light pollution the cycle of, of uh, predation and, and prey so predators and prey has in the past been sort of based on the light of the moon because predators need light to be able to hunt by but of course if all of the time it is as light as though there were a full moon around then predators have a constant way of being able to prey on various other animals out there and that can be a serious problem for the diversity and the the balance of the the biosphere basically yeah so we've mentioned the the possible measures that institutions or governments could take but is there anything that our individual readers and listeners could do you know to, to help with this situation 
So ensuring that you're not uh, overusing uh, lights externally, if, if you have lights in your garden or your driveway or something along those sort of lines, having them be motion censored or only being on at times when you actually want to use them. And again, going for more directional light, light which is being directed downwards rather than upwards or in all directions, can very much improve the, uh, the amount of light pollution that you are generating. So what advice would you give, say, to our listeners who'd like to to go out and start observing the night sky? You would be surprised how much uh, a small reduction in light pollution can help. So even going, you don't necessarily have to travel halfway across the country to find a proper dark site to to greatly benefit your ability to see the night sky. Even cutting yourself off from direct light pollution, so uh, finding the the middle of a park or a, a, a wide open area can help considerably. But in the end, there really is no there's no full replacement for going out to one of these dark sky sites and seeing the the night sky for yourself from there. So, and these are dotted around all over the UK. Mm. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, can anyone just go to visit one? Do you have to make an appointment, or how do we go about using these sites? Uh, these are uh, uh, fairly wide open areas. Places like the Downs and Heaths and Moors of uh, of our countryside are often in with these dark sky sites. So depending on the situation with each individual area, whether there are areas which are open to the public or not, there will certainly be places around there where you can head to without any particular appointment or anything along those sort of lines and be able to make use of the, of the, the dark skies found there. That was the Royal Observatory Greenwich's Dr. Greg Brown. Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius, brought to you from the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine. If you'd like to read more about astronomy and all other things science-based, the current issue of BBC Science Focus magazine is out now. Pick up a copy wherever you buy your favourite magazines or download a digital copy from your preferred app store. You can, of course, also find us online at sciencefocus.com. Thank you.